Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Hello, welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard, at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. This is the fourth, and please, the final uh, episode in a four-part mini-series of my conversation with Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies. We got talking about a lot of different stuff. I've just had to cut out a lot of good stuff as well. Four is enough. I just... I'm, I. It's just enough. Um, it was a really fun conversation. I've tried to keep the best parts of it for this uh, for this fourth episode, um, where we mostly well we talk, again we talk about a lot in thirty minutes, um, but we're going to talk about Justin Jefferson, break his down his game down a little bit from both sides of the aisle, and we're also going to talk about the twenty twenty class in general and rookie pick values in dynasty football. So hope you enjoy it. Thanks again. Check us out next week. Where I I probably will have recovered by then. Um, thanks again. Talk to you again. Uh, enjoy this last part of the interview with Zach. I guess maybe I, I figured out halfway through this we're actually doing the podcast. By the way, so maybe this is it. And um, so I I think a way towards the conclusion at least is the the two profiles in this class that we have mentioned before, but the ones that are clean. They're not what Rashad Bateman's looks like right now. It's not what G.J. Moore's look like. Um, they're more or less around Nikhil Harry, maybe a little better, actually, because uh, for various different boring reasons I don't bother you about. But what I consider clean profiles, I'm like, okay, those are the two at the top. Let's move on. Now, I'm not done with Tyler Johnson and Bryant Edwards, but there were more questions on both of those profiles, even though the numbers were higher. Again, this isn't about higher means higher expectation. That's a thing. It's not that type of evaluation. Um, but I, I love both those guys. I really want to see the rest of the story, and I'm probably going to end up with a lot of them. But the two clean profiles in this class from day one have always been um, C.D. Lamb and uh, Jalen Ragor. Now, they both have a little issue, because, again, there's no such thing as clean. They're perfect. But they're great profiles once you, ex- you get to familiar looking at them. And both of them have it. It's like the ranking starts there for me. Those two are the clearly the best overall profiles with – virtually zero questions on them and you know this is where it's fun to fade the <laughs> combine because you can start adding questions in when you get to there especially when talking about ceiling most remember most people questioning bmi hand size and 40 time they'll point to the th- a higher threshold like uh, you don't see top 12 seasons or you don't see multiple top 12 you don't see julio jones doing that well like i quite like having stefan diggs i'm good 
<laughs> so mostly limits you from those higher ceilings. So that's probably uh, something I should have mentioned when we we're talking about Conway. But um, <laughs> that, that, like I've 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 come to terms with Jerry Judy, and so I'm pretty sure I have him fairly locked in at three, all draft dependent, obviously. But I, I think given that, that's really the. That's the top of the class. That's where we're looking for for the most ceiling or the most comfort, the most likelihood, whatever. Um, do you disagree with any of those three? I, I, um, obviously, things will be different, but do you disagree that they like um, look like, uh, I don't know, whatever, however you want to take that? And also, I guess the question is, who goes one? I, I, I think I think CeeDee Lamb is the, the easy, easy one uh, in this wide receiver class. The... The profile, at least on film, that I have the most trouble with is Rager. Um, oh. And and that's not to say that he was bad. And and we've had uh, among the the dummies on, on our show, we, there's a, been a pretty big uh, schism because Riley Bymaster and Matt Foreman are completely off the the Rager train. They they didn't see what I saw. Um, but for me, I saw Rager be really fast and once the ball in his hands, uh, be a very good runner. And that's something that I look for. Again, if you're not winning down the field with your air yards, then you need to add yards after the catch. Uh, and, right. and he does that. Um, and, and he also, again, double moves, you know, can, can make a defender look uh, horrible. He catches the ball out away from his body, which means that when he gets hit, uh, he's not necessarily losing the ball because if the ball is in on you and you get hit, all of that energy goes directly in. But if you've got the ball out here, you get a, a little bit of a cushion. The one thing I don't like about that is he doesn't bring it in quickly. Mm. So he'll catch it out here and kind of leave it out, which you end up with balls being knocked out um and i think sometimes he tries to just completely like use his speed to get by somebody uh, instead of reading the coverage and if he's being given cushion if he's being given the respect that his his speed deserves he needs to uh you know make a play underneath and use his ability after the catch but uh, all in all like i have i have rigor i think right now i don't know five or six, but again, that's, that's with questions about Brian Edwards. That's with questions about Tyler Johnson, where, you know, I, I'm with you on that. And, and if you were going to make me draft right now, I probably would take Rager over them just because of the questions with, is the draft capital going to be there? Is Brian Edwards foot going to drop, you know, his, sure. his draft right. stock, all of that sort of thing. The one player that, I really need you to talk dirty to me about, and and uh, I think we're gonna be, I think we're gonna be a little bit uh, uh, at odds. Is Justin Jefferson? I like, I have Justin Jefferson as my two in this class, and I like, I don't think it's particularly close. I I thought he was, you know, it's Ceedee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, and then there's a big glut of very talented receivers from three to seven or eight. But man, I like I really, really, really like Justin Jefferson, and I know people are going to knock him because he's a slot receiver. 
Not that that's something you'll do because you're not not <laughs> watching the film, but but that's going to be the big knock as oh he was he was a slot receiver and yeah he was but he also created a, an insane amount of separation and is good against man going down the field he's good against man running shorter routes he's great against zone it really reminded me his ability to attack zone reminded me of Juju Smith-Schuster when I watched him out of USC and I had Juju ranked higher than a lot of people just because of his ability to be the number two in an offense, but eat as a number two. And I think that Jefferson has the ability to be able to do that. Uh, you know, he, he's got that profile to me where if he's a number two, he's going to be a high volume number two. And I want that, but he can also be a one and, and beat, players down the field and and beat defenders one-on-one and and i really like this is the this is the hill where last year i was i was on the hill that aj brown was the number one wide receiver in the class for me this year the hill is justin jefferson is the second wide receiver in this class and i don't think it's particularly close right juju is an interesting name to mention but that's a little too um looking for something right so well i just i just mean the i just mean the the, like it was one particular skill set i'm not it's not a comp at all they play differently but and then triggered the minute you said it i was like oh like i've been wrestling with justin jackson um and trying to avoid the conversation (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, let's do vega here justin jackson played for lsu in the sac sac is a decent conference has had relatively recent hit rates over the last few years it produces some players guys um, I can see slot. He he was actually fairly efficient. Um, the average player with a uh, top twenty-four season averages two yards per team pass attempt throughout their college career. He was at two point five. His best yards per team pass attempt was two point eight. The average for the top twenty-four wide receivers is two point six. So he's actually fairly efficient. Whether he's playing in the slot or not, that's especially when you tell me the role. I was actually just trying to quickly scan over to um yards per reception, which is the best guide I have for what type of player he is, um, which is terrible. <laughs> but 14.6, again, if you're telling me he's playing shorter yards, that shows the efficiency right there to go that high. Um, but the the average for most slot receivers I've gone back and profiled is around 15. So I, I can see well, how he's close to the line of scrimmage and some. And he, he, does a, he does kind of a combo, though. Like, he, he's... He's this jack of all trades from the slot, so he's not necessarily just running routes right. close to the line of scrimmage. He can get downfield uh, very well too, and so you know he he's got this ability to be kind of the skeleton key in your offense. Uh, whatever you need, if you need him to stretch the field, he can do that. If you need him to uh, you know break a zone and sit down in in the the lanes in a zone. He can do that and, and get yards after the catch. So it's not just a, a slot in the traditional sense of the, you know, hey, Jarvis Landry is going to catch the ball six yards from <laughs> right. the line of scrimmage and then run for six more. It's he can do that, but he also can go down the field. I think that's what's shown up with the lower than I expected to see yards per reception, but higher than you would, you can hope to have in yards per team pass attempt. There's a, there's a, conflict there's different skill set there going on and you're describing hopefully what i'm saying and he was overproductive in his last his 
his average team market share was above expected um which is good you know you want you want it, to play more productive than average i would say that in his last year's confident expectation is 17.2 it looks like he played as a wide receiver two for his team yes he did because he had the yeah. best receiver in the country on his team who's that <laughs> uh, jamar chase ended up with <laughs> 84 catches almost 1800 yards and 20 touchdowns for chase but I would connect that, and that's something of why I've been hesitant on just because he's coming out third in my current pre-draft model. I've been fiddling. I with love it. it, Peter. We're on the same page. Yeah, I got questions about this current state of the model. <laughs> he was my receiver too, but and that connects what, what we were saying earlier about the Henry Ruggs expectation going to the NFL, especially when you consider his role. But again, he was very productive in the role he was playing, like more than Ruggs was productive, and he broke the averages even playing not as a wide receiver one, which can be seen as more impressive. He only played one game in his age 18 season. The next two seasons, however, he played uh, more than enough to have done well, and he did is a thing. Um, like he has domino ratings of 30% in both of his next two years. It, you know, it varies around 30%, 30.7 to 29. Okay, I just Can we said. adjust that up? Uh, yeah, we should again. <laughs> Um, we can actually adjust it down a little bit. Like at age 19, that's well above average. A 30% dominator is well above average. for. Um, and so if you were looking at the graph, that's where he would break that line, that, um, that red line I'm also putting on there. Whereas his last season at age 20, being around 30 is actually below expectation because you expect to do more as you move forward. And he actually played extra games that season. So you're looking at something as a drop in production, but he was playing as a two. If you're telling me there's high competition and his teammates score is 2% above average. So I'm seeing that as well. Um, he's, I just accidentally went over to the combine stats here. And <laughs> yeah, 4.43 and the stuff you were saying, decently sized. Like I like him um, and, and the model loves him right now. The pre-draft model, his production is good. I, I wish I could throw some sh some nastiness to you. It's just either side of that age 19 season was underproductive, especially given the role he was playing. And so, frankly, was Julio Jones. He's got a massive spike year at age 19. Now, he's not as productive as Julio Jones at age 19. <laughs> but again, the pattern isn't overly concerning. Um, and speaking of Juju, that's what uh, the, the efficiency is one thing that reminded me of after you said it. So this is after the fact, not a clean clean connection in my mind. But uh, Juju was definitely more efficient in teams for yards per team pass attempt. He was a great, um, highly efficient player in college. He also had an earlier breakout age. He broke out really at age 18, I believe it's right. My model, my spreadsheet keeps getting it wrong because he was actually 17 when he first played, and I keep forgetting to adjust those dates. But yeah, he was an age 18 breakout, if I remember right. Justin Jefferson is an age um, uh, 19 breakout, if I remember right. So he broke, had. 20% and 30%, as I just said. Yeah. So even if you go to that higher threshold that Rotov is likes, he still breaks out at 19. That's one thing that saves what I term peak producers. Like you only have one good year. But if you're doing it young, that matters more than if you're doing it old. It's a very important definition of this breakout. So actually, yeah, I like Jefferson. I can't throw too much shade at him. Um that's that's it. This is we're done. This is that was the that was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, CD Lamb, huh? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, I really do. I, I and I had him. I mean, I have him fairly close to where I had AJ Brown graded out last year. So I mean, he's he's one of these 
players where I, you know, I, I really like him. He's he does a lot of things well, and he's so smooth, Peter. They, they draw them level with each other, man. It's going to be an interesting year to watch. Uh, interesting three years to watch, to be fair. I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've come. You've come full circle because it really was. It was like five or six weeks ago, and I'm listening to you laugh about how this class is going to blow up in everybody's face because you've been hearing about it for two years. It and, is, though, have been telling me to trade players I would not trade for these rookie picks or the so, season I got from them. So I, <laughs> like, okay. I'm not seeing Calvin Johnson, which is the level of expectation of some of the values I was told I should seek out some now, of these wide receivers. I, that, I, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm saying, man. That's a, so that's a different conversation. Seconds this year. That's, that's a the different conversation. conversation. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you on the, you know, you, you don't – you don't trade production now for the promise of production in the future. Like I'm, I'm with you on that. But uh, if, like, we were advocating, uh, and, and this is this is kind of one of the things that I like to do is I'll target a class that I think is going to be very good, and I will target it a couple years out. And what I will do is make trades where I get a second round pick in next year's class and a first round pick in the class afterwards and people are willing to do that that's that's not a big deal and if i'm in a rebuild and i'm and i'm looking and i'm selling off you know some of my older assets or, or run, especially running backs because you know the the shelf life on on them is not great i mean this year if i'm in if i have a team that i'm rebuilding and i have players close your ears like Marlon Mack and and you know the that that group of running backs that is probably on their way out in the next couple of years those are players that I'm trading but it was the it was the two years ago saying trade get a second in 2019 get a first in 2020 um and and end up with two or three picks in this if you had three picks in this first round and got two of these running backs and and one of these receivers or one of these running backs and two of these receivers or draft a guy and then trade two of these picks for productive veterans. And all of a sudden you have rebuilt your roster in the span of two years where sometimes it'll take, you know, three or four. If you're, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to rebuild with one pick a year, it takes forever. But if you can identify a class and attack it in a way where you're gaining those assets before they become super valuable. And then you're either spending them on these players or you're trading them for uh, players that are now attainable where they wouldn't have been, you know, if you had a 2020 pick in 2018, nobody cares about that. But if you have a 2020 pick right now, or if you had a 2020 pick three months ago, Man, you could have got the moon for that, and that, like that, to me is the is the way you play the game with these picks. It's it's identify early. It's listen to people like Ray Garvin. It's listen to to Debbie podcasts. It's it's pay attention to the rankings on DLF and identify those classes before you get there. Make your moves before they become uh, before you get priced out, and then when the price goes up. 
because it's predictable. You know that the price is going to go up when you get closer to the rookie drafts. You know this week the price is going to go up because it's the combine. If you had the 101 and somebody is looking at Jonathan Taylor and and looking at that he ran a 439, I I'm sure you could get a huge windfall for that right now and you may be able to get more for that in 2 months, you know, when your rookie draft happens. So they're like, or three months. Like that's the thing that that, and it's a really good process on the average when you're approaching dynasty. My problem only about this class was that first round picks were trading at equal value. They hadn't increased up towards the draft in 2019, like to the point they may have had to add a fab dollar to trade into the 2020 class. So it works great if you can identify a class and the typical value system is working. I'll say, which if, is if if like the 2020 class was so hyped that they're equal or even greater value in some cases, in some trades, then you're losing the value, the potential of that process. And that, so that's that my thing about ah, this class. But, um, but again, that, like, like if you traded a first and a second last year and you got AJ Brown and fuck you overdrafted <laughs> um, Terry McCall and according to an asshole like me, then you were really, you're staring down the barrel of uh, perhaps Antonio Golden Gandhi at the end of this first round. If he really gets good draft capital, I would not make that trade or yeah. Zach Moss late or, and you drafted, you know, oh, I can't even think who, what running back was in the second round. Like that would have been an unusually high trade, but you, there was still an equal value. And I already got a year of those good players from the first right. round. And there were a significant number of good players last like year. And and that's all. It's not like I don't appreciate that. Like, you should, um, like last year when everyone was after 2020 picks, if you were interested in that process, you should have, uh, like maybe approaching 2021 would have been the idea because right now, again, we're doing the same yeah. and those were trading at lesser value than 2019 picks. So well, it's not like, anyway, well, that's, you, you so, get it. Yeah. So, well, so I've got, I've got notes from a show we did July 31st of 2018. Okay. And the notes are 2020 running backs. Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins. Okay, those that, that's the first four. Mm-hmm. And then I've got Stephen Carr, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Trey Sermon, A.J. Dillon. So, like, this is what we did was we did a show and said, look, right now it's 2018. You're coming up on your 2018 draft. What you need to be doing is – yeah." looking ahead and and when that when that clicks over to 2020 when when mfl rolls over and your league has 2020 picks available those are the picks that nobody is thinking about right now and those are the picks that that you need to be going if you're if you got in on them last year in 2019 at at your 2019 draft you're you're too late and that's the thing i mean and it's 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 tough it's 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 hard to look that far ahead, which again, it's the same thing for me as as when I listen to you and listen to Josh Termsmeyer and listen to George Criticos and and listen to uh, you know all of these people who talk metrics. I listen to Devi podcast too. I don't play Devi, but I want to know because that's part of strategy of Dynasty. Again, is, is- Get ahead. No problem with it. My, my only yeah. thing was that the 2020 class, like no one's ex- excited right now about the 2021 class or the 2022 class as everyone was. 23, 20, I hear. 2020 
in 2018. Like it was consistently higher than average. And like, it's an easy way to, in my mind, an easy way to foul a very good process is when you try to apply an average rule to a situation that's above or below average, right? Especially if it's above average. Because again, it's where the picks were trading equal value is instead of you actually getting a value boost for going further into the future. That's that's where it started to get right wrong for me. If you know what but I mean. that but that was that was at the point where everyone was on I mean it it's the same thing whereas if you bought stock in Apple, you know, in the late 70s early 80s you're feeling good about it if you buy stock in right, apple right. now it costs you whatever apple stock thing. costs 2020 was closer to apple stock than it was you know um you know a company you've never heard of earlier than most and that's right. what i mean like you and other good dynasty players are telling other one right now that 2022 is a good class to target um because it's two years out you should get paid if that that would be the process going two years yeah. out right but in 2018, I feel like it really started to build around then that it was more like not just occasional good dynasty players or hail this is a good process. It was almost already accepted that 2020 was a great class already and we should target that class. Like we're not saying all as one unit that about the 2022 class. We might say that about the process, but not because 2022 is like a guarantee. And that's kind of what we were saying two years out or close to two years out about the 2020 class. Well, and so it, it was, um, it, it was an unusual, it's an unusual year earlier than it, it <laughs> in was, that way. It was really easy to identify. And to me, it's, it was similar in, in 2017. We're in 2015. And actually, somewhere on our feed, there's a podcast where Kyle and I talk about we're in 2015 and I'm talking about doing a rebuild because I absolutely pooched uh, my startup draft. Uh, I ended up with uh, a bunch of a bunch of players that were past their prime and I and I just I didn't have a, a great plan going in. And so I started looking and, and you can you could see the, the 2017 running back class. Mm-hmm. You and and you, I mean, you could see it from two years out, and and the entire the entire show was me talking about how I traded Brandon LaFell and a piece to get a a second in 2016 and a first in 2017, and by the time I was done with the trades, I ended up with four first round picks in 2017, and ended up with a team that had. Uh, McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook and I didn't even remember who else I drafted. Might have been it wasn't Mixon. No, it was Mixon because I ended up with Mixon and traded him to Kyle for Odell Beckham, which is another story for another day. But like to me, it you can identify draft classes, and not yeah. every draft class is created equal. But if you're sitting there and and you see four or five running backs that are legitimate, you know. NFL players and you can you can see them coming from a mile away like I've been watching Jonathan Taylor for two years now going oh (laughs) I can't wait until he's there in 2020 yeah it's just where um it wasn't like we were cleverly identifying a class like everyone had identified it (laughs) so there was no value differential yeah no I'm trying to put this in context it's like in mid the middle of 2000 18 season, the middle of the 2019 season, however that works out to a year and a half ago, yeah. you, 
you were trading essentially a pick that you could be more definite of where it would land for a pick you were definitely not sure of where it would land because it's two years out or a year and a half out. So, like, you could have ended up very easily. I, I was trying to look up the ADP of rookies last year, but I can't remember where, like, AJ Brown or DK Metcalf he, went. But my Metcalf memory was is late like, first round. Five, Metcalf was going, like, five or six. AJ Brown, I got anywhere from, like, 108 to 112. So say you are accurately identifying your pick as a late, later first round pick, mid to late. Like that's yep. normally the picks we feel more comfortable trading with. So it's fair to say you could have got DK Metcalf or AJ Brown. Like it was a yeah. fairly target rich environment last year. It turns out for mystery pick and not even tanking it, not like the one twelve. Would you trade AJ Brown or DK Metcalf and the year of production you just got from them, who should all be more valuable than one first round pick at this one point? So it's yeah. kind of a foregone conclusion. Then J.K. Dobbins. Jalen Rager, like I, I like Jalen Rager, but the consensus on him apparently is him at six. T. Higgins, Henry Ruggs, Cam Akers, and that's six yeah. to nine. Right, like that's what I mean. Like a year and a half out, that's the type of value differential we were talking about. Like if you were getting that in a second, whatever, yeah, you know, more right. than that. But instead, they were trading it equal too soon, way too soon. Yes, because it would have been identified by everyone way too early, except me, who knows nothing about college. So I was just <laughs> completely confused and i wish i'd listened to you in 2018 i guess that would have solved it <laughs> you and kyle could have saved me well <laughs> that, i mean don't don't let the cat out of the bag we're dummies that we we like it that way we've got a small circle we run in so uh, that that was our secret this is all just a secret promo for how you should listen to the dynasty dummies podcast <laughs> on the dynasty uh Funhouse Podcast Network. Yeah, the DFPN <laughs> <right>. Network. <laughs> nice. The only network in town. If you have been previous, I want to do a PSA now, because if you've previously been subscribed to the Dynasty Dummies podcast and you're wondering why you haven't heard from Kyle and Zach for a while, go resubscribe. I think something about the switching, the, the yeah. combination, like um, that's why you might not have heard from him in a while. Like I just looked up one day because I talked to Zach and Kyle fairly regularly on Twitter and in group chats and stuff. So I hadn't really noticed I wasn't hearing from him. But it turns out I've been unsubscribed because of the switch over the DFPN there. So might want to go resubscribe because it is um, like it's, it's it's definitely one I listen to every week. Really enjoy it. And uh, obviously Zach's stuck in this long with me. So he, he's he's a pretty cool dude to do that. And Kyle's fantastic. He, um, he's got free data, man. He's got free spreadsheets on. I don't know if he's collecting the history of them. Does he do the past ones? Are they available? He uh, he's got I think twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. He cool. uh, I, I like don't histories, man. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he has last year's. He just had a baby today. Yeah, today. like he's doing this. And like everyone says, I work too much. He's doing it well. Literally, I don't it, know how he's keeping up yeah, with it, but he does some great stats work, and and his spreadsheet is way more colorful and nice than mine. <laughs> it's worth checking out uh, the the draft cheat sheets that he puts out again for free. You know, he's a good guy, uh, so definitely check that stuff out. Um, anything else you want to mention? Plug it. The the only thing that I've got to plug uh, is. We've got a. You mentioned the network. We've got a new show on the network that is uh, Kevin Catillo and Dynasty wow. Outhouse, and it is a trade. Sh- yeah, it's a trade show. It's split really takes. It's the man. They, they're brilliant, and the idea is they both go separately record their thoughts about a trade. 
So there's there's no splatter. There's no, you know, nobody is coloring another opinion. And then they come back and they listen to what they recorded and then argue about it. So it's, you, it's literally an anti-adjust podcast. Yeah, like that's not a just tweet. Yeah, right? It was it was, it was it's, fantastic. It it's was amazing. amazing. Yeah. Because you because you always get this little bit of you know bias and and you know somebody else is shaping your narrative and with this you just you don't you get exactly what they thought unfiltered and so like if that's a reason to subscribe to the feed like the, the and also Russ show and Kevin are just really good oh they're, they're <laughs> amazing. on top of it <laughs> they are amazing so um yeah this episode uh, split takes is what it's called right yep yep um and they were talking about a superflex trade Russell Wilson on one side and Baker Mayfield on the other side both had like the analysis of the trade itself is really interesting. Like I'm bad at trades. So I'm trying to learn. And it was a really interesting way and to hear the way they broke it down and broke it down separately and came together. It was, um, yeah, I randomly happened to listen. Like it was the next one up after I listened to the dummies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Um, I didn't know Russ and Kevin had a new show, but it was very cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely recommend that one too. All right. Uh, I guess I better let you out of here. I don't know what I'm going to do with a two hour recording. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold. So, oh no, it's going to Thank everyone for checking out. If you stuck with it for this might have been a 30 minute podcast. Or it might have been a full part series. Whatever. I really appreciate you listening. And follow Zach Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Peter Numo, it's a place of analytical.